1: welcome to today's interview guys honored to have you here on the real estate survival guide honored to have my friend christina deal with us and uh we've actually gotten together a few times but i even confirmed how i said her last name and it's deal as in a big deal so welcome to the show (laughs) christina the big deal deal But it's been very cool to connect with Christina. So a few months ago, she wrote a book and I'm excited to jump into that. And so when I saw she wrote a book, I'm like, I I have to connect with her because I like connecting with entrepreneurs that like, you know, podcasts, books, all these different things. Um, And so I'm so excited to have her on the show. Christina is a realtor here in Lancaster and knew she wanted to be a real estate investor since the time she was a kid. She now owns a portfolio of short-term and long-term rentals that contribute to her financial freedom at the age of 40. She has been a full-time realtor since 2010, and in her free time, she stays involved with the community by volunteering in various governmental and nonprofit organizations. Recently, she published an Amazon best-selling book money girl that aims to provide a financial education and inspiration to children all over the country it is her goal to change the trajectory of future generations by ensuring their understanding of debt and how money works I have a copy of it here and I've started to dive into it a little bit we're not on video but really good book really proud of what she's doing and And I've really just appreciated her willingness to share her time. So we got together, and when she heard about me and my wife's debt-free journey, she started talking about investment properties, and she's like, we should connect, and was even kind enough to sit down with me and my wife a couple weeks ago. She's very generous, and I appreciate her sharing her time, a few different times sitting down with us, and now here on the show. So, Christina, thanks so much, and welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So- Real estate, you knew you wanted to be a real estate investor since you were the time you were a kid, but how did you get into now building what you've built as a realtor and with your portfolio of the rentals here in Pennsylvania? I also know we've talked about a property you have in Florida. Tell us all about your journey.
0: Yeah, well, I would say... Just in the most simplest of terms, once you start buying investment properties, you become addicted to it and you just want more and more and more because you see how that passive income just becomes you know, part of your life and is you see how e- easily it can be made. And so I just, my dad was a landlord, so that's what kind of showed me that I wanted to also be a landlord. I saw how that worked. And once I started buying properties, I couldn't stop. I remember even at one point telling my friends like, okay, I'm done now. I'm not buying anymore. And then the one day I was like <laughs> sitting for coffee with my one friend. I was like, so guess what I did? She's like, you bought another property. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it almost became a joke. And that was a few properties ago. So, so that's how I got to the point of having a portfolio that kind of, you know, is just a yeah great asset to have. Um, it's hard to stop once you start.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And it's, it's very interesting because I think a lot of us, so whether investor or just real estate helping clients You know, when I got into real estate, I didn't realize, like, I wish I would have bought real estate so much sooner. So how long ago did you buy? I know you shared when we sat down, but just for the podcast, guess how long ago did you buy your first property?
0: Yeah, my first property was when I was 23 years old. So about 17 years ago, Um, I had started saving for it when I was probably about 10 years old. I knew that I never wanted to be a renter. So I started preparing in advance, you know, to have money, to be able to put a down payment on a house. I also made the decision to not take out student loans in order to go to college, because I knew if I wanted to buy a house right out of college that I would, it'd be a lot harder if I was carrying student loan debt, stuff like that. So it was very intentional decisions that I made in order to be able to buy property as soon as possible. So I was 23 and bought that property with the intention of living in it for a couple of years and then uh, you know, finding something else to move into and turning that first one into a rental. So I purposefully bought in an area that I knew was, you know, kind of like rental friendly and also bought a property that was inexpensive enough that a rental payment could definitely more than cover whatever the mortgage payment was. And I also had, you know, I was in my early 20s at the time. I had roommates move in with me. Who even covered my my mortgage payment at that time? So even while I was living there, I didn't have a mortgage payment. I was able to save up for my next investment.
1: That's awesome. So one of the things I think is cool is you know because again, I I've been a realtor for a few years, but really the investment side I've never really gotten into we sat down and so for, for for realtors out there you know that are considering investing you know i kind of when you when the three of us my wife and i sat with you we kind of talked about like well what about a property here in lancaster that you know you're paying the mortgage and making a few hundred dollars a month and i kind of had thought no i would never do that and you said actually i would that's a great idea can you explain for people why if a property is cash flowing even a couple hundred dollars a month why does it make sense to buy a property like that
0: so it can really make sense to buy a property like that for several reasons i mean there's it's not just about the cash flow it can be about the potential appreciation mm-hmm. if it's in an up-and-coming um area where the value and maybe even the rental income is going to increase that's something that might make it worth holding on to, even if you are breaking even or only getting a couple hundred dollars. But also I'm a huge proponent for paying off rental properties once you have them. So even if while you're holding the mortgage on it, it's only cash flowing maybe $300. Once you pay off that mortgage, then it's cash flowing $1,200. Like that makes a big difference in your monthly lifestyle and your monthly income And then also, I mean, say you have 10 properties that are only making you $300 a month. Once you have those 10 paid off, they're now making you, you know, $10,000 a month. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you have to start somewhere. And if all you can do at this point is get a property under your belt that makes you what doesn't seem to be like a huge profit per month, Mm -hmm. it's still a starting point. It's still better than the person who never gets started. Um, I think all too often people are looking for just that best deal or just even a re- an unreasonable expectation of like what the profit should be. And then they end up just never getting started. And then the person that's been putting $300 in their pocket every month for the past couple of years and has a property under their belt that someone else is paying off for them is in a much better position than someone that didn't do that in the first place.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. And it's so funny because now as I look at properties, I just <laughs> I just showed my wife one this weekend and I might go to an open house this weekend. There's a spoiler for my listeners because I'm like, wait a second, as I look at the mortgage, this could make us $300, $400 a month. And, and I just thought it makes sense, right? The property was sold for 70,000 X number of years ago. Now it's selling for 130. So even holding that, and so I think for those of us that haven't been investors for long or thinking about it, I think it's a whole different perspective on like, no, don't worry about, yes, cash flow is great, but if you're making money, and I think the appreciation is huge for me to think about. So that's really cool. And I think it's it's good for realtors to think about. I'd love to, and I do want to, you just, you had an Airbnb that you got last year. So I'd love to hear about that, but tell us more about the book. So, Money Girl, how you can attract wealth, nurture your soul, and obtain financial freedom. I haven't read through the whole thing, but one of my favorite parts is it's easy to read, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like I feel like so many people in the finance space are using like big jargon to like confuse you. And I feel like yours is like, th- no, this isn't like language you're going to understand and explaining my journey. Tell us more about what made you decide to write the book and what that process mm-hmm. was like.
0: So I really started to notice by the time I got into my 30s, I had I had made smart decisions throughout my whole life just because of the education that I got from my parents when I was young and didn't even realize that that was a unique type of education. And then so by the time I was in my 30s, I was very comfortable and then having conversations with people around me that were like, man, I'm just realizing I need to dig myself out of debt before I start building wealth or I need to do this or I need to like undo the damage that I've already you know, brought into my financial life. And that's what made me realize that I was so fortunate to have this education that my parents had given me about money and and really realized that most people don't get that. And then most importantly, that you need that education before you go into student loan debt, before you go into credit card debt, like before you enter adulthood. So that ideally in you know middle school and high school, is where you should be getting this information so that you don't have to wake up 20 years later saying, okay, let me undo this damage first and then start building wealth for my future. So I I really 100% wanted to make sure it was very easily digestible for that age group. I wanted it to just be a fun, easy conversational read with very, yes, just, you know, high school age vocabulary and stuff like that so that it would just be, you know, that they'd want to read it. They'd find it easy to do and also very easy to understand because that's, that's where it all starts. You know, by the time you realize 10, 20 years later that you made mistakes, those mistakes are already made and you didn't even know you were making them. So it's not, it's not your fault if no one ever told you, you know?
1: No, absolutely. And I think one of the things I've learned, and this isn't to make it political one way or another, but I, you know, the recent student loan debt forgiveness, we had paid off our student loans. I, and I'm glad we did. I didn't understand at 18 years old, 20 years old, 20 whatever years old what I was signing. Right and and I get the point. Oh, well you took out the loan, but I think a lot of students don't understand and so what I think is great about the book is hey, these are the things that are going to come across and you need to understand the risk of doing mm-hmm. something like that, you know, of student loans, of credit cards, of things like that. Absolutely. One of the cool things about sitting down with you and my wife was, you know, as we think about investing, we said, well, isn't isn't that risky? And you consider yourself actually risk averse compared to many investors. Is that right?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Tell us more. I I know you told us in, in person, but tell my audience why you make some of the investing decisions that you do. Well, Mm -hmm. what kind of investing decisions that you might make that most investors don't and why you do those things? I'm thinking about like the equity you take out that you told us about, you know, paying off the houses. Yeah, tell us more about
0: it. So, I mean, a lot of the investors I talk to, I would venture to say all of them because I haven't found anyone else that invests quite like I do. They very much are like just buy, 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 leverage, leverage, leverage. Like they just take out debt, take out debt, take out debt. And and you know what? As long as the, the income that's coming from the property that you are using to purchase that debt with um, is more than covering that debt, then cool. Like I, I get it. I get why you're doing that. For me to be able to sleep well at night And, um, you know, to to help safeguard myself against maybe if a recession really kicks in or or, you know, anything that could happen. Um, I tend to, you know, try to pay off one of my mortgages before I let myself buy another property. And I've gotten into that kind of cycle where it's like I'm I'm constantly trying to decrease my debt load before I take on more debt, just because like, I don't like the feeling of knowing I have, you know, several thousands of dollars worth of mortgage payments due every month, even though other people are paying them. What if something happens? What if something changes and, and they're no longer paying them. I I like the security of just consistently lowering uh, that debt by kind of like the whole Dave Ramsey snowball thing, like paying off one mortgage at Mm -hmm. a time, starting with the lowest balance and getting rid of them. So so that I think is a big difference. And, and people often tell me like, no, stop paying them off. They're low interest rates. Just go buy more. And I'm like, you do you. I know that maybe, yes, in, in yeah. order to make more money, that's what I should be doing. But for me to have peace of mind, I'm doing it the way that I want to do it. So everyone needs to figure out for themselves what they're comfortable with. And that's just, yeah, how I like to do it
1: no that makes that makes a ton of sense you recently and and i loved hearing this so guys i'll when i first got together with christina we were just getting to know each other right, she was telling me about the book i was telling her about the podcast i told her how um we are going to i don't even know if i've told the podcast this uh, spoiler alert about maybe i have but how we're going to <laughs> florida this spring for five weeks and christina had said If you I'm going to be angry at you, if you come home to Lancaster and you are not under contract on a place in Florida. And I said, interesting. And then I heard that Christina had an Airbnb there. And so uh, tell us more about why you decided to get an Airbnb there in Florida and just how you kind of picked the property, what. What decisions made into that, how you knew, hey, this was a wise financial choice versus not, yeah. and those and just everything involved in the Airbnb process for you,
0: yeah, so it was a lot of things it was you know kind of during the height of the pandemic, I was a little i was very frustrated with uh, the way things were going in Pennsylvania as far as you know just lockdowns and and whatever else. Um, And so I started looking at Florida and how free they looked, you know, and I was like, man, I want to own property there. Not even thinking about Airbnb. I was like, I just want to own something there. You know, in case things get worse, I'll have a place to go. So uh, an old friend who recently, well, a few years ago, moved down to Florida and became a realtor. I just got in touch with him. I was like, hey, can you give me a call? I just want to pick your brain about Florida real estate. And he starts telling me about the town that he lives in, Cape Coral,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and how great, of opportunity it is right there, right now, for Airbnbs and just how great of a place is and all this stuff and how easy it is to fly to from up here. And and I was like, man, that sounds great. And he's like, and the values are still pretty low, but people love to get away here. So I was like, cool. So I'm gonna come down and check it out. So I went down, really loved the area, toured some homes, put in some offers and lost them all. You know, thank heavens. I'm so glad I got the one that I ended up getting. So by the time I got back up to Lancaster, we were still looking and he, you know, at that point, a knew what I wanted, but also B knew that he needed to find something for me that was going to be profitable as an Airbnb. So I was very Mm -hmm. thankful to have his eye and his expertise to help out in that regard. So there, there was one house that came up and he was like, this one's so good. And he went and FaceTimed it for me. And I was like, do whatever you need to do. I need this house. And it happened to already be an Airbnb. So I was able to look at their financials and make a decision on, okay, I'm willing to spend this much because I can see how much it brings in. And yeah, so I was just like, I put in the best offer I could possibly give. I got all chummy with the seller. I tried to like win her over. She's great. She's a lot like me, real estate investor, very hands-on and stuff like that. So, um, So yeah, so it just worked out the way it was supposed to work out. I'm so thankful none of those other ones did because this was definitely one I was supposed to get. And it is just, it's the best investment I ever made. Mm -hmm. It it makes me feel like, because all the other properties that I own are are long-term rentals. And I've always been a huge fan of that. But now that I see the type of return on investment that you can get from Airbnbs, yes, they are more labor intensive Mm -hmm. um, and maybe more cyclical. But uh, it's just way more ROI than a long-term rental. So very happy.
1: What I hear and what I love this, uh, I, you know, I love everything about the the journey, but what I, what I think is really cool is you found an expert agent there, right? A friend of yours that lived. So it's not like you were just like, oh yeah, I want to buy a place in Florida. Let's just throw a dart in an area and okay, I'm going to buy there. You Mm -hmm. called about, and I think that's a a great lesson for realtors or investors listening to this. Find an expert. If you don't live there, right, find an expert there. You know, I think the financials certainly help if it's previously an Airbnb, because I know when you spoke to us, right? you ran the numbers expecting a certain occupancy and it's been higher. So you're making even more than you planned. But what you shared with us was, Again, you're you're risk averse. So you were like, okay, is this gonna work? And you're running the numbers and you're like, even at this occupancy, it works. And you've had higher than that, you know, ever since you own the property. So I think is that is that a lesson though for people? Like you gotta find an expert in the area.
0: So that's yeah. I mean, coincidentally enough, someone just reached out to me the other day, a friend from up here kind of asking me questions about how I, you know invested in an Airbnb. And I was like, why are you asking? He's like, well, a friend of mine, you know, wants to buy something in Florida, but doesn't know, you know, how to find this stuff out. And I said, I just wrote back, my advice would be find a mm-hmm. realtor that you can trust. That's literally what I said to him. So it's, yes, it, that's the most important thing. And I think just another interesting thing to point out about that purchase in Florida is, cause I know this is kind of what a lot of people are thinking right now, for a while there, I was like, "I'm not going to buy anything until the market corrects. I'm not going to buy anything until um, it calms down a little and people aren't competing over and having to bid over and whatever else." And so I stalled for maybe like three or four months. And um, finally, it was the fall of 2021. I was like, "I can't keep waiting. I need to buy something." And I still often think about that. Like if I had continued to wait and said, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off until." the market corrects i i would have lost out on that house it's worth probably 50 grand more now than i paid for it all the income that it's produced since then
1: Mm -hmm. would have
0: lost out on that so i think it's a very good piece of advice that your time in the market is way more important than timing the market if that makes sense oh i
1: love that that's like a mic drop yes yes absolutely time in the market better than timing the market that is so good I love this, and this is so cool. In your investing, like so now, right? You have the financial freedom that you've worked towards with this portfolio, with these short and long-term rentals. So, what keeps you motivated? Like when you get <laughs> either go to sleep or wake up, what do you, what are you excited about?
0: Yeah, so I'm really happy that with with my book being out now, it gives me kind of a new focus. Like I still love helping people buy and sell real estate. I love talking to everyone about real estate, just because that's, I I genuinely love it. So I'm very thankful that that's my job. But even if I'm not making money off of it, it's just, you know, you can tell, obviously, (laughs) Um, I love talking about it. But with my book, it's kind of my new challenge and my new goal to find avenues and opportunities to be able to speak to young people to help, you know, just get their minds thinking about money in a different way. And just helping to educate, make people more financial literate at a younger age. So I have a couple engagements coming up, like speaking at local libraries, speaking in a youth group, stuff like that. But that's that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm I'm all about trying to just help people make better financial decisions uh earlier in life.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. When you sat down with us, I think you know, my wife and I, we we have family members that have had rentals that have had horror experiences. And I thought you shared great advice. So I'd love to hear what your advice is on, on like the horror stories and if you've had horror stories or how you've avoided horror stories with your properties.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I say this about everything in life. There's professionals for a reason. That's even why I don't like to cook because (laughs) people go to school for that. Like, you know, Same thing with realtors. We're professionals. We have jobs for a reason. You need us. Property managers, they have that job for a reason. So I am a huge advocate for not owning rentals without having someone who professionally knows what they're doing be the one to manage it for you Mm -hmm. for so many reasons, like too many to even get into. But I think having professional property managers definitely cuts back on a lot of the problems that landlords often have because they, for one, they really know how to screen tenants. And I would say like more than half the battle is just getting the right tenant in there. You get the wrong tenant in, and that's when you hear the horror story. You should get the right tenant in, and it's a great situation to be in. I think often too, people fall into just believing all the hype of these like horror stories that landlords share and don't think about the fact that no landlords aren't running around telling the good stories about like hey all my tenants paid on time this month like that's just that's normally what happens that's not something of note that you share with people what people get interested in and, and want to complain about are the horror stories so then when when outsiders all they're hearing are the horror stories they think that that's all there is mm-hmm. but If it was really like that, then no one would be a landlord. So its I just think that the the horror stories are are blown out of proportion. And I think the reward that you receive from owning property that other people are paying off for you Mm -hmm. is just infinitely higher than the risk that you take on by doing that. And even some people are like, oh, I don't want to have to fix a toilet in the middle of the night, or I don't want phone calls at blah, blah, blah. And like, if, you know, if you are going to manage your own Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking like, I'll take a phone call in the middle of the night, if they're writing me a check for a thousand dollars every month, like it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's a trade-off. Do you want to work for a boss and take phone calls from nine to five every single day? Or do you want to have to take maybe a random phone call from your tenant when a problem goes wrong for them, you know, paying your income to you? And, a, that's, off,
1: you know? and that's probably a good piece of advice too, is have experts. I'm sure if like, if you were managing on your own and you had 20 properties, you're not out there with a plunger, you would have an expert plumber that they call you at 12 and at 1215, you're calling the 24 hour plumber. I need you out there to fix a sewer issue or whatever.
0: That's a great example. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's so cool. I love this and I think it's so cool because one of the things I've learned from your journey is everyone should be investing mm-hmm. and everyone should think about it like even even now looking at a property where I would only make $300 a month only like is like oh but that actually might be a good idea because of if it cash flows you know if the numbers make sense and I think it's very interesting because I think so many realtors are scared of stepping out and doing that. They don't want to take that first step. Did you ever have that fear or no? Because of your dad and growing up, you know, around that, you you were just like, no, this is the path.
0: Never had a fear. I was almost just impatient with like, okay, I want to start buying more and more. When can I buy more? When can I find another one? Maybe I was just fortunate to, to not have that fear. But I, yeah, I just remember it was almost like an impatience of like, all right, Where's where's my next property?
1: How do you, in a market like we're experiencing, how do you decide, hey, I wait, but right, because, and, and we talked about this, we're both realtors, you know, people think, oh, a crash is coming. We just don't believe that. We know property prices are going to increase. They're not going to be up 25% year over year, but they're probably still going to be up 5 to 10% every year. How do you, make decisions on, you know, when we left meeting with you and my wife said, what's your next step? I was like, that was a great question, babe. But how do you kind of in those with so many things going on with the book, with multiple properties, with the Airbnb, how do you kind of make that decision on what's the next right step?
0: So I think um, one of the great things about getting to a point of financial freedom or even just kind of like a security where your income is coming from is that you can just kind of be ready for opportunity. And so I think I told your, I told you on your wife that my goal right now is I'm working on paying off one of the mortgages, because that's you know the next step in the process. And then after that, I'm just gonna I'm gonna look and see is there an Airbnb that makes sense? Is there a rental property that makes sense? Is there something else that comes up and is what I want to be my next investment? So that's not, you know, the clearest answer, but I think it's just kind of like putting yourself in a position in environments where you're going to see opportunities and being ready to jump on them, especially in a market like this. When it's a good opportunity, you're not going to be the only one that wants it, so...
1: No, I, I think that's great advice because again, like some people would be like, oh, I'm, I'm making money. Let me just go and blow this. But then if a property pops up, that's an opportunity. They're like, oh, I, I've been too busy. You know, I don't I don't have the money for this. But instead, mm-hmm. you're taking the steps by saying, no, I'm going to pay down this because I am risk averse. Right. So I'm mm-hmm. going to pay this down so that when that perfect opportunity comes, I can jump on it. So I do think that's really great advice. Thanks. I appreciate this so much. As we kind of close out our time, I would love to hear, take us to a point in your life and you can, you can, if you'd like, kind of share what that was, but take us to um, a hard point when you kind of maybe dealt with some adversity, maybe it was through the investing or whatever it was, maybe it was writing the book. Take us to a point where you face some adversity and what would be a piece of advice you would give that version of yourself if you're sitting across the table?
0: So I remember, um, when I was first starting out as a realtor in 2010, it was the worst time possible because <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a slow market, but also at the time the, the federal government was giving an $8,000 tax credit to anyone that bought a house that year or, you know, during that time. And that expired a week before I got my real estate license. Oh my so it's like, everyone who was going to buy a house had already bought a house because they were getting in before that deadline. And then here I come being like, all right, I'm a realtor now. So it was just a very tough time to try to get started in real estate. So after a few months, I was like, okay, I can't keep dipping into my savings. I'm going to have to get a job on the side. So I started waitressing and just in order to kind of like be able to keep up with my bills until real estate started to get going. And then that led to, just under three years of me kind of trying to make both things work using waitressing as a crutch to not really go full force in my real estate career and not doing not succeeding really in real estate because of a really not needing to, and B having to spend time waitressing. And I couldn't get out of my own head, you know, and just be like, okay, I need to just go full-time real estate or, or nothing. And so it was, it was a tough time and not even really realizing it was a tough time wanting to make something like a career that I really wanted so badly, wanting to make that work, but having a fear of, you know, being 100% commission. So it wasn't until I finally, I moved brokerages I met a whole new group of realtors at Coldwell Banker, the place that I'm at now. And just my office is so supportive and wonderful. And there were so many people that were like, No. You either be a realtor or you don't, you can't like have a job on the side. You have to commit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no one's ever said that to me before. And a week later I gave my notice at my waitressing job. And it wasn't until then it wasn't until I stopped waitressing that my career just took off and it was a noticeable difference. So if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have wasted that almost three years waitressing. I would have just focused entirely on real estate. So, yeah. And I think that's, that's great advice for new realtors because I, I, whenever new realtors come to my office, I say the exact same thing. I was like, you can't have something on the side. You need to do this or don't do it. And no one ever listens to me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it isn't until they finally quit their side thing that, that real estate starts clicking. I I see it a million
1: times Mm -hmm. and
0: I'm like, I know, I knew, I knew that was going to happen.
1: <laughs> uh, told you, told so, you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I try not to say told you, but I'm always like, there it was again. Like, yeah. but it's, it's hard advice to listen to, but, but I, yes. yeah, that's one thing I would have changed.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. And it's so interesting. I, I like, I think I shared this with you, but like real quick, I, I felt the same way, right? I got fired from my last W2 job. And I remember calling the person who leads my mastermind group now and saying, Vincent, I, I got fired today and he said, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. And I literally said, you're an idiot. My wife is pregnant. You have no idea what I'm going through. And he said, this is now. Now he thought it was photography mm-hmm. at the time because I was a photographer on the, but he's like, this is your chance. You have dreamed of a time to make this or whatever your entrepreneurial thing, a full time thing. This is your chance. And I had no other option, Right. I still remember, and I've shared this here on the podcast, getting uh, licensed right before our son was born and he just turned three. So getting licensed and 2019 and being like, what what am I going to do? But I had success because I had no option, you know, in 2020. And I've like we asked family members, can we move in with you? Because we were so broke. We thought we were going to lose our house. 2 years later in June of 2022 we paid off our house. Oh my god. And so I, see I'm like getting up I get so passionate about this because I coach realtors through the membership and coach them. And and I know people I I know a realtor that for a while worked in my old company and I'm like you're making $40,000 because I have this job. I'm telling you, leave this, take a chance on yourself, go do real estate full time and you will make much more than that. Mm-hmm. But some realtors are either do not have the money or don't have the trust in themselves to survive. And I mean, you could struggle for a while, right? But it, but $40,000 does not change your life. And so if you're like, okay, I'm quitting my job, I'm going to live off, you know, maybe I have $10,000 in the bank, I'm going to live off this, and I might have to use a credit card for a little bit to survive, but I'm going to hustle to get my real estate business going. It's so true. So many that I feel like are failing are like, I'm doing this on the side. I'm doing this on the right. side rather than. So anyway, sorry to get so having, passionate about that, but it's when, so true. Having
0: realtors in the market that are only doing it on the side makes it more difficult for all the other realtors. Oh, to... so true. Yeah. It's like you have to just, yeah. Anyway, you know. <laughs>
1: Well, and maybe, you know, I was going to ask you a piece of advice to the realtors, but I think you just answered it. Is that it? Just you got to do this. You got to grind and you got to just put your heart and soul into this.
0: Well, no, I think I have I have two others. Okay, yeah, I'd
1: love (laughs) to hear them.
0: So I think most importantly, and I feel like this is going to sound cliche, but I think if you really take it to heart, you realize how important it is being yourself. I think so often new realtors and even realtors in general try to like work off of scripts or do what you're supposed to do. And it's, it's really, I think 100% it's about being yourself and the people that are meant to work with you are going to work with you. The people that click with you are going to be your clients and they're going to refer people to you. I wish more realtors would just really be genuine and just have more fun with it by being yourself, you know? So I think that's one piece of advice. And then secondly, kind of what we talked about today is every realtor should have passive income, And the easiest way to do that is through rental properties, but I think it makes you a better realtor when you are not hanging on every commission. Mm. If you're not worrying about whether or not a deal closes because it's how you're going to pay your mortgage next month, it makes you a better realtor and it makes you serve your clients better. So having passive income that alleviates some of that burden is absolutely essential.
1: I love that. That was... I mean, that's, and I think that was the reason we paid off our house. And, you know, we followed Dave Ramsey. And of course, on the investing side, I, you know, some of the things I don't agree with about real estate, but it was a hard thing for us. And we felt like I would be a better realtor by having, Hey, well, people saw on Facebook, Oh, John paid off his house. So it's, so then my clients don't feel like you're only trying to get me to buy a house to pay your mortgage, right? They could see, Oh, you don't don't, have a mortgage. So absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. Thank you. I think this is incredibly helpful to me and I know it is going to be to our audience as well. So we really appreciate your time.
0: Yeah. So happy to be here. And um, if anyone's curious about my book, it's at, you can get it at uh, Deal.com.
1: I was just about to ask you, that's oh, my final cool. question. Where can people connect with you and find what you're doing?
0: Oh, and that too. Yeah. I love connecting with people. So I'm on Facebook, Lancaster Homegirl, or Christina deal, or just yeah, my website. If anyone has questions at any time, I love chatting about this stuff. So,
1: and and I can speak. I mean, seriously. I and I know I messaged you, but I I felt like I left that meeting with my wife. First of all, guys, you need to know Christina was like willing to come to our house because of trying to find childcare. She was so kind. She's like, oh, I'll come when they're napping, and so we finally met up at Starbucks. But thank you so much. You are incredibly kind and generous. And so thank you for what you've shared with me, with me and my wife, and now here with our audience. Make sure you guys check out her book, Money Girl, so you can find it, christinadeal.com and connect with her on socials. Christina, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate having you with us.
0: I really appreciate you. I hope you have a great day.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Christina Deal, for the awesome time today shared on our interview. Guys, seriously, she's been one of the coolest people I've met over the past few months, and it was so cool to connect with her today and and just share some things on the podcast that I really hope were helpful for you. I know they for sure were helpful to me, and so I hope they helped you guys as well. A few of my big takeaways... I just love everything she is doing. I love what she's built in her business through her passive income, through the book. And I have a a few of my takeaways were, I I think the big one was really just when she said, as you think about investing, right? Because we talked a lot about investing. She said, try to think about your time in the market versus timing the market. And isn't that huge? I still remember I bought my house in, 2017 was told oh it's a oh it's a seller's market you should wait to buy a home and i am so glad i did not listen to that bad advice because my house is now worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars, if not more and i have a paid off mortgage so right i have equity in that home but i just think it's a reminder you know stop waiting for the perfect time because the perfect time might not come and not only that but you know this house you know would have costed me what 60 70 80,000 more and so i thought that was a great piece of advice i you know as she talked about investing when she said find an expert i think that is absolutely clutch advice you need an expert you need someone who knows that local market and who you can trust right and as she talked about investing you know i love how she said that there are professionals for a reason you know i think about that in real estate right i'm a realtor you could try selling your house for sale by owner but i know i'm gonna do a better job and make you more money you know i think about my car and i've shared this with you guys right i don't fix my car you know i barely even change my oil let alone anything else because i trust my mechanic the expert to handle it and so i think that's a huge piece of what we can kind of take away from this like there are professionals for a reason if you are going to get into you know real estate investing, find a great property manager right and I love how she said you know how there's all these horror stories passed around, and I thought the mic drop there was if there were all these horror stories all the time, no one would be a landlord so that that was just really cool. I thought a lot of what she said just really you know relates if you want to invest but also you know what you're you know, doing in real estate, just if you're helping buyers or sellers. I loved how she talked about being ready for the next step. And that's what she's working on. I loved her advice to herself about, you know, I waited three years too long to go full time. And basically, I should have done it sooner, right? I should have gone it right away. I feel like I've beat that over the head you know if you are working other jobs and I know people I know people that I coach people in my membership have taken on other jobs I'll continue to say you need to be doing real estate full-time if you really want to create a successful business and a really nice income through real estate and just to close this out I loved her takeaways for realtors I completely agree with everything she said about being yourself and doing what is genuine right people are going to click with you and click with you know you being your authentic and genuine self and I love the piece about the passive income where you don't have to worry about your you know commission check and when am I going to get paid right that's like I said on the episode one of the reasons we paid off the house so Christina thank you so much for your time appreciate you so much make sure you check her out basically christinadeal.com gets you all the information you can order the book there and the book again is money girl how to attract wealth nurture your soul and obtain financial freedom it's a great book i've really enjoyed jumping into it and so check out her website christina deal i'll make sure i have a link in the show notes but thank you guys so much for listening hope you enjoyed this episode and i'll see you guys very soon